Our scripture lesson today comes from two different scriptures. The first is from the Old Testament, the Hebrew canon, uh, the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes. Um, and it is true, but it is so depressing that I couldn't leave it there. So we're also going to read 2 Corinthians, where Paul is providing hope to the early church. So let's share in God's good word together. Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. And now from Corinthians. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is a big weekend for my family. My parents, now both in their 80s, are getting their second dose of the vaccine. We're so excited. And we're hoping this will be a game changer for our family, our ability to see one another and be together. One of the things I love about my parents is that they are consistent, especially now. I know who they are, what they like, and what is important to them, and that these things are not likely to change ever. So imagine yourself at 80. What's happened to you in the decades between today and then? What will you be like? Has your heart grown in love for others? Or has your heart hardened by pain and loss and grief? Is your mind flourishing or have you shut it down because you already know what you want to know? Are you alive and moving and filled with wonder or did your passion for life die decades ago? All of this is at stake when we talk about holding on to hope. Holding on to hope is so important in these dark and cold days of winter. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 not to let our suffering get us down because that suffering can produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So as we begin this new Lenten sermon series called Holding On to Hope, I hope you will come alongside with us. And as we hold on to hope, we're going to look at how to overcome life's unexpected challenges together. So as a way of introduction... The more you know, the more you hurt. That's the way King Solomon put it. After being the greatest, wisest king in all of Jerusalem and all of history, this is what he writes in Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless, like spitting in the wind, he says. It's, it's all worthless, he finds. He's had everything you could possibly want, and he just gets depressed. Because the more you know, the more you hurt. And it takes some intentionality to get past that. So again, Ecclesiastes 1.18, it says, Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. And certainly that can be the case. And it is the case without the hope of Jesus Christ in your life. And so we remember together that we need Jesus. We all need a Savior. Every time we start a service, we say, Good morning, saints, because we're saved by Jesus. And then we say, Good morning, sinners, because we still need Jesus. Jesus, each and every one of us. And we remember together that apart from Jesus, what can we do? Nothing, not a zip, 
Nothing at all. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. John 15 tells us very clearly, Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless, that's a key phrase there, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Yes, absolutely. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Even our very breath, our life is a gift from God. We're placed in our mother's womb by God, by the love and grace of Jesus. And so what I want you to know is don't don't get too worried or depressed about this because Jesus loves you right where you are. And with Jesus, you are perfectly safe and loved right where you are. The world is a great place to be, friends, if Jesus is by your side. If you've given your life to him, if you are obedient to him, you are perfectly safe right where you are. So Paul writes to the early church in Corinth. He says, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And then he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me through Jesus, who strengthens me. And and what he's saying, he says, I can be in any of these situations and be absolutely fine. He's not saying that I can high jump 8-6. He's not saying that. What he's saying is whether he has little or whether he has plenty, whether it's snowy outside or whether it's sunny outside, whether he doesn't have water, whether he does have water, whether he's in a time of joy or whether a time of grief, in all of these situations, in every single one of them, he can do all of it as long as Jesus is by his side. And so here's the truth of the matter, friends. Jesus will either protect you right where you are or he'll guide you out of it. If you're in a place that's not safe, he'll either protect you or he'll call you out of that. And oftentimes that may be through unlikely sources. It might be family or friends or law enforcement or a counselor. So here's the thing. God will either protect you where you are, he'll give you strength to bear it, or he'll call you out of it to guide you to safety or he will welcome you eternally. Because if Jesus is with us, even in our death, we are welcomed by his loving arms and we're surrounded by his love in this life and the next. So if you've given yourself to Jesus, you are perfectly safe right where you are, or he may be guiding you to a different place of safety. And even when we pass, we pass to him. And that's great news. You see, our life is a gift from God. And who we become in this life is our gift back to God. Each and every one of us have a role to play in this world. And it's an important one to God and to the world. And to particularly to the people who love you and the people that you love. So it's a really big question. Who are you becoming? We ask this all the time here at Acts 2. Because that thing, that person that you're becoming, the person that you are today, that goes on to heaven and lives forever, and there's nothing you can do about it other than be intentional about becoming more and more like Jesus and learning how to live with him in this life so that it will be an easy transition uh, and a glorious and wonderful thing as you live with Jesus in the next. So here's the thing. If you're like me, as you get older, sometimes you like to do less stuff. There were lots of things that I used to really like to do that I don't want to do anymore because I know that they're painful, like snowboarding. I did that. It really hurt. 
So I prefer skiing. I'm much better at that. So the thing is, as we do these things in our life, the things that cause us pain, if we're not careful, we'll just write them off. Even if there's a lot of promise and joy and hope in doing those things in the future. So I want to share with you um, three things that lead to a cynical heart. Uh, This sermon series comes from some work um, from uh, a mentor of mine. I I read his work all the time. His name is Kerry Newhoff. And these are things that he says lead to a cynical heart, and I think he's exactly right. The first thing he says is that you know too much. You just know too much. And certainly when it comes to helping people, uh, this this is hard because not everybody that you try to help, want your help. Sometimes when you really reach out and try to help them, it doesn't work out the way you think it will. They may not even say thank you. They may not get better. Matter of fact, they may say that you didn't help them at all and walk out of your life. You just don't know how it's going to turn out. So cynicism grows when you start to protect yourself from future hurt. This happens all the time with people in need. I remember one time, um, you may not know this, but, but our practice here at the church is that we just don't hand out money to people. Uh, we don't think that's good stewardship. What we do is we'll take them shopping. Uh, if they're hungry, we'll say, okay, well, let's go to the grocery store and let's get you some groceries. And I remember this, this one guy, um, I was shopping for him and he, he, was, he said he was taking care of these twins and um, he kept getting things for the twins. And, and, and I was thinking, well, the twins, he talked as if they were really little And so I was like, well, do the twins need diapers? And he goes, no, they're 28. And I was like, hmm. So so here's a guy taking care of two 28-year-old twins, um, and he was buying them, you know, ding-dongs and donuts and pop and those sorts of things. And and, and that's okay. I mean, if if they needed the help, they needed the help. But it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I think I want to ask some more questions before I help the next person. And so... Uh, I do. I ask better questions, and that's good, but if not careful, I'll start to close my heart. The other thing is, uh, if somebody needs some help and they give us a a, a story, um, sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not, about needing help and needing gas, um, we don't give them money. We take them to the 7-Eleven, and we uh, we do that in twos, and we go, and I remember this one lady, she started to um, get some gas, and and then she, uh, she was like, oh no, I only put premium in my car. It was a car that didn't take premium. I was like, seriously? And I was like, now, now tell me again how you found yourself in this fix, because she was living in her car. And she said, well, I was living with my sister, uh, but she kicked me out. I was like, well, why did she kick you out? And she was like, well, her, her boyfriend likes me more than she likes her now. And I was like, oh. You see, as you do, as you know more, you know too much. Like, I didn't really need to know that, and it makes me less likely to want to help you. And so this just happens in our life. You, you know more, your heart starts to get hardened, you get some calluses around it, and the next person that asks you for help, if you're not careful, you won't see them, you'll see the last person that you felt burned you or took advantage of you. And so you just know too much. The second thing that can often lead to cynicism is that you project the past onto the future. When I was in fifth grade, 
there was a girl that I had liked from second grade to third grade to fourth grade to fifth grade. Her name was Stacy, her real name. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, and she was the fastest kid in second, third, fourth, fifth grade, and I thought she was the coolest. She could also play some really good dodgeball, and she was awesome, and you wanted to be on her team, and she, I just thought she was the greatest. I loved her with all of my little self at eight, nine, ten years of age. And it just so happened that that summer, I was moving to Guthrie, and she was moving to Billings, Montana. And I had held this love in my heart all of these years, and it had just grown in me, and I just could not wait to tell her of my love for her. And I wanted to stay connected. I wanted us to be pen pals, and I wanted us to write love letters to each other. It was going to be great. And so I finally got up my courage on the day that she was to move. I was to move the next day. And I got on my little green two-speed bicycle, and I, got, I rode as fast as I could up to her house. And right as I got to her house, I saw her U-Haul truck driving away. And I drove behind as fast as I could, but of course her parents aren't stopping for a fifth-grade boy on a bike. And uh, they go on to Billings, Montana. And I was heartbroken. And I decided then and there that I would never love again. My heart had been crushed. And as the Lord has it, by the time I was 14, 15, he granted me something I'd never knew before, hormones. And I liked lots of girls by the time I was 14 or 15. Somehow God had changed that. Because here's the truth of it. Applying one particular situation to all future situations is the death of hope. It just doesn't work that way. You, You can't just be burned one time or have pain one time and then have your entire life end. Uh, that's, that's just not mature by any stretch. And those of you who know me well know that I'm now married to the beautiful Chantel, who is super quick and can throw a fast softball. She was on a softball team. So great, it worked out great for me. Um, but whatever it is you're going through, that, that can happen. You just apply one particular situation to all the future situations, and that becomes the death of your hope. By the time I got out of college, I started... Uh, uh, my first job, it was really, really hard to get into the news business. And uh, somehow, some way, I got on with NBC News. And I, I got all the way to the network. And I was so excited to be there. And even at 23, I was on the national and international desk of NBC News Worldwide. And I was thrilled. I had made it. It was the most amazing thing. And you know what I found when I got there? Most of the people I worked with hated their job. They were in their 30s or 40s. And they were burned out. They didn't like working all the time. They had gotten over the excitement of being the first to know things. They missed being with their family. They didn't like going and being away for two and three weeks at a time to cover an event. And and all the travel required, they were worn slick. And so the very thing that I'd worked all the way through high school and all the way through college to do, when I got there, the people that had done it for a while, they were not digging it. So I went into ministry, and and I got a mentor. And I remember my first meeting with my mentor. I sat down before him, and I was so excited. I was going to do something great for the Lord. And and you know what he told me? He's like, don't do it. Ministry's hard. If you can do anything else in your entire life, do that. Because ministry is the worst job you could ever want. He's like, it's just too hard. People, uh, you know, they'll take advantage of you. They'll leave your church for no reason. They'll blame things on you that they're mad about God at. And like, you don't want any part of this. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this guy's a terrible mentor. But he was in his 50s. Guess what? I'm in my 50s. 
And I get it. I, I know what he was telling me now. Um, but I want you to know that you always have the opportunity to hold on to hope. And what the Lord can do in one minute of prayer is more than you could possibly do in a lifetime of murmuring or complaining. It's good news that we have. The third thing that can actually really close our hearts down and cause cynicism is when you decide to stop trusting, hoping, and believing. In the same way that that's always a temptation, whether you're a little fifth grader or whether you're in your first job or whether you're in ministry or whether you're in your third or fourth job or maybe you've gone through a serious time of loss. Never stop hoping. Never stop believing because love never ends. God's love for you is present all the way through in all times, in all places, as Paul says. Love, well, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God's love for you and the love that he's placed in you for others, it never ends. So hoping to protect yourself from future pain, if you're not careful, you rob yourself from the joy and promise of the present. And we think we're being so smart by saying, no, 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 I'm not going to risk it. So hoping to protect yourself from future pain, you rob yourself, actually, from the joy and promise of the present. Karen Newhoff says it like this. He says, when you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. The Bible says it a little differently. It says, you know, if you don't love people that you do see, you can't love God who you don't see. So here's the thing. People and God, they go together. Jesus says it in Matthew 25. He says, if you see somebody hurting, they don't have clothes, they don't have shelter, they don't have food, they don't have water, and you don't, you don't take care of them, then you're not loving Jesus. You're not taking care of Jesus. And as we do these things, as we bless others, not whether they deserve it or not, but whether they're in need or not, we bless and love Jesus, whom we haven't seen by blessing and loving those we have seen. When you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. And that's dangerous business. Because you know, friends, you can be alive and dead at the same time. You can have a pulse, but not a life. You can breathe without really having a full breath and joy and life. And so, please, with all I am, keep going. Hold on to hope. Spring is coming in just a few short weeks. So I want to share with you some practical ways that you can defeat your inner cynic. When you, when you feel that coming on where your heart starts to close, when you want to take less risks, when you don't want to get out of your house or see the beautiful things that God has given you and surrounded you with, when you feel yourself pulling back because you're afraid, know that it's a choice. It doesn't have to be that way. So number one is this. Recognize that cynicism is a choice. You get to choose. You get to choose whether you're going to step into the love and life that God has for you, which of course requires vulnerability. It requires risk. Faith and risk, they're a lot alike. So here's the thing. We have to remind ourselves, life doesn't make you a cynic. You make you a cynic. Say that with me. Life does not make you a cynic. You make you a cynic. You see, cynics never change the world. And, and, and I can be cynical, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many uh, wonderful ideas I have been tempted to just shut down because I don't know how they're going to end. But, but that's, that's, if you can't make a mistake, you can't make anything, is what my boys learned in kindergarten. And I think that's exactly right. 
So when we're cynical, we never change the world. We just tell you why the world can't change. That's what cynics do. And so it takes people of hope. It takes people of the resurrection. It takes people of love and willing to take chances that change the world for good. The second thing is that I want to encourage you to take time to strengthen the habit of curiosity. Now, this curiosity, it can be nurtured and developed. Not everybody is born naturally curious. Some people are more curious than others. Um, But here's the thing. You can actually develop this habit, this strength, this tool in your life. Instead of, you know, trying to know everything and put people in their place, you can simply ask, well, what makes you say that? I haven't thought of that before. I haven't ever heard that. Well, that's interesting. Uh, why is that? Or, or why not? Why, why, why don't we think we can do this? Uh, what's keeping us uh, from having this beautiful moment that we're hoping for? So we can take time to strengthen this habit of curiosity uh, by asking two questions. Why and why not? And the reason curiosity is so powerful is that it allows us to shift from wanting to be right to wanting to get it right. I don't know if you've ever been in this position. I know that I have. Um, Certainly in my earlier days of ministry, there were things that I thought I simply had to hold on to, that I had to be right, that I was the authority in the church and because I was the pastor and I was supposed to be the Bible answer man and I was supposed to know these things. You know one of the most freeing sentences you can ever learn in your life? I don't know. That's the sentence, not I don't know, but I don't know is the sentence. And see how that works? You don't have to know everything. We can look it up together because you know that people learn better when they're learning it with someone and learning it on their own with, you know, with a group. And they're, they're studying it themselves rather than just simply being told the answer for them to actually work it out with you, alongside you, and helps them learn it better. And so we want to move from this stance of always trying to be right to actually getting it right. Like, I'm not sure what that answer is, but together, I bet maybe we could find out. Uh, let's do some research. Brene Brown puts it this way. She talks about it in terms of armored leadership versus daring leadership. And by the way, daring leadership is where she would like us to be, and I'm one to invite you into. In armored leadership, we are the knower, right? And we are being right, and we don't want to be challenged. You know, don't confuse me with the facts. I am right, and I hope no. And and here's the really terrible thing. Sometimes you know you're not right, but if you're in the knower category, you don't know what to do because you don't know the right answer, but you're not willing to admit that you don't know the right answer, so you just keep, you know, bullying people or pushing people back or doing whatever you do so you can be right. I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to remember the time before Google, you know, those big arguments you used to have in the car. Now we're just like, hey, Google, boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah, that is where that is, or that is how many people live in that city. So here's the thing. There's lots of technology that knows some facts, but that's, that's not the thing. We're not meant to just be little computers, right? We're not just holders of knowledge. We want to be learners, right? Daring leadership is being a lifelong learner, even in your 80s. One of my favorite members that was ever part of our church was Jeannie Peterson. And in her 80s, as an octogenarian, she led an exercise class. She led a, a write your whole life out class. 
Um, she taught Sunday school here at the church, and she would invite me into all kinds of missions that she had been a part of, like Kairos Prison Ministry. And she would say, how's the church going to help with these things that I'm a part of? And Jeannie was so beautiful and so wonderful and, and such a challenge. And that's how I want to be when I hit 80. I, I want to be active and keep learning and, um, and know how to email and do the next technology. She was amazing, and I miss her so much. I know many of you do as well. And then thirdly, remember, friends, that your past is not your future if Jesus is involved, because Jesus is life itself. Jesus is love itself, and he is the resurrected one, right? Our story doesn't end at Good Friday. We are Easter people. Sunday is coming. And so I want to remind you, I know we're, we're weeks away from Easter yet. We're still at the early first week of Lent, but, but remember where we're headed, friends. In Luke 23, it says this. Jesus is on the cross, and one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sense of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, meaning Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's our prayer. That's a great prayer. That's all you need to know. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And if, and if you haven't ever prayed before, it's a great place to start. Jesus, remember me. And what does Jesus say? Jesus is dying on the cross with his last breath. And what does he say? Jesus replies, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. You will. Jesus came to save. We don't know anything about this guy other than apparently he did something really terrible to deserve death on a cross. That Rome would crucify him publicly for whatever it is he had done. And then when Jesus gets involved, your past no longer defines your future. You see, friends, we have to remember our hope is in Jesus and our hope never dies because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because we are Easter people. So, to keep your heart from cynicism, to keep holding on to hope, here are five action steps. Uh, choose any of them that you might like. The first I'm really excited about. I hope you'll download our new Acts 2 app uh, and read the good news of the Gospel of John with us this Lent. Uh, our Director of Discipleship, Michael Andrus, has put together a great plan. Um, that's going to start on Monday, and uh, you can read all the way through the Gospel of John with us, um, and we will get to the resurrection story at Easter um, and we will read the whole Gospel of John together uh, this Lent and a few days after Easter. So that's one. I hope you'll do that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, secondly, I hope that you'll schedule some thinking time. Uh, think about being curious. Ask those questions. Why? Why not? Where's my life headed? How do I want to be when I'm 80? Because here's the thing. It is hard to think in a hurry. Isn't that true? Isn't it hard to think in a hurry? I think it is. So let's slow down, schedule some time so we can just think our thoughts. So a different way of doing this would be to go for a long walk and just ask God to help you make you brave. Not because not bad stuff doesn't happen in our lives. It does for all of us. But in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of your loss, just take a walk and ask God to help make you brave for the next chapter of your life. One of beauty and joy and wholeness and reconciliation and of life itself. 
Another thing you could do is to start asking open-ended questions and then just sit back and listen. Rather than being afraid of those conversations uh, with your loved ones uh, or your neighbors uh, or your small group or your coworkers, um, instead of trying to make them think like you do, why not just ask them, well, why is it that you think like that? What has been your life experience? Well, why don't you try that? That sounds like fun. And just ask open-ended questions and see where God takes you. Because here's the great thing about listening. Kerry Nohoff says it like this. He says, if you listen longer than most people listen, you'll hear things most people never hear. Wouldn't that be cool? Just think you could know all kinds of stuff. Wonderful things. Not that close your heart, but that opens it. So, we can ask, why not? To God. And we can ask, why not? To others. And we can remain curious as to what God might do. And so that dream that you've been thinking at, uh, that dream that you've been holding on to, that dream that maybe you've shelved for a decade or two, why not dust it off and ask God, is now the time? Is now the time for me to try this again? Is this the season? Because just like we have four seasons um, in Oklahoma, or at least two, um, if you're from around here, you know what I mean, uh, winter and summer, um, Here's the thing. There are certain things you can do uh, when you're planting, but you just have to, it has to be at the right time. I'd love to go plant daffodils, but it's not going to work. I had to do that last October, November. And so maybe what is the season that you're in now to fulfill the dreams that God is placing in you? Because remember, God is love. God is light. God is with you. God loves you. And he's ready for you to hold on to hope. And hope will not disappoint us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.